This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right. So first of all, thank you, Yanni, for the beautiful introduction. <clears throat> I got to thank, first of all, Chazak, what it does. It's unbelievable. I don't know. I'm sure like every speaker that came here is like, by the way, you should know like Chazak is unbelievable. They do amazing things. Trust me, you don't even know the half of what it does. It's together with Torah Anytime, what they do to the world, they change the world. And they need the support, they need everything that you guys can give. It's un- I can't even begin to explain how awesome and amazing it is, and how, 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 what a schut that I have to actually be over here. Um, they say, you know, what's unfortunate to one person, it's another person's, you know, fortune. So, Rabbi Tahan couldn't be here, but I get just tremendous schut, so I, I'm very happy to take his place, you know, whatever that I can. Obviously, I cannot deliver the same, you know, level, even close to what Rabbi Tahan is going to give. But, <clears throat> like, you know, Yenif says, energy that I, Baruch Hashem, I have. So, so energy you guys, uh, you guys will get. So, we're, we're here on, Rosh, on Hoshana Rabbah. Now, you have to understand this. This is something that's, that's very interesting. It sort of made a comeback. There's not a lot of information that the Torah teaches us about Hoshana Rabbah. The, what's interesting is we know that Hoshana Rabbah is like another seal of like the final judgment. But the question that people ask, we had already Yom Kippur. We had already Yom Kippur. It wasn't sealed. What's all of a sudden that we're having another, are you having like, like starting now as you're going to become really religious? You know, you have the people that are on a diet and they start the diet and then they mess up. So they say, I'm going to start it now. And then they mess up again and be like, no, I was just joking. I'm starting it now. Like, is that's what's happening? Like, first you have, you have Rosh Hashanah, then we have Yom Kippur, and then we still have another chance to Rosh Hashanah Rabbah. What's going on over here? There must be something more that we're dealing with over here. So, one of the one of the answers that I heard is, what's the difference between the 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 kapara that we get on Yom Kippur versus the kapara that we get on Hoshana Rabbah? And the difference is when you do tshuva on Yom Kippur, the tshuva that you have, that you do, it's a tshuva out of fear. You know, like, it's like a scary day. Everybody is dressed in white. Everybody's fasting. Everybody's crying. You want to have a good year. So you do tshuva because that's what God wants us. God wants us to do tshuva. God wants us to cry or so we think. And then we're going to have, uh, you know, we're going to have a good year. So we do tshuva on Yom Kippur. It stems a lot from fear from, from Yira. But then comes Sukkot. Sukkot we know is the Zman Simchatenu. It's our time of our happiness. Now when we're dealing with, with happiness, and then you needed to tshuva, do tshuva, like after you got all that happiness, it changes. You change from doing tshuva out of fear to doing tshuva out of love. And we know that the level of tshuva that you do, if you do tshuva out of love, it's, you're not even talking even the same ballpark when you do tshuva out of fear. When you do tshuva out of fear, so it reduces your sin, either from a zit or a shogeg, at best it can make it go away and disappear. But a tshuva of love, it can make a sin turn into a mitzvah. That's the love of You can do the worst of the worst sin, and it turns into a big, a big mitzvah. So, that is one answer that I heard. Another answer is that Yom Kippur is known as Yom. It's the day. It's mechapel. It atones for the sins of the day. Hoshana Rabbah atones for the sins, uh, sins of night. Now, made me start to think, you know, like, what sins do we do at night? Like, what do we do? What, what are the sins at night? And I started thinking, you know, unfortunately nowadays, there's everything that, that there, every idea has positive and negative, you know, powers that it could use to. You look at social media. Social media is a terrible thing. But you could use it for amazing things as well. But one of the problems that social media comes out with is what do people do? People go and they start looking at social media and they start looking and be like, this person has a better life. 
this person has a better life. Because I mean, it's, it's literally what it is. It's like legal stalking. It makes absolutely no sense on how like people enjoy this. Like, let me put my own personal life information online for other people to see. And then we get upset when not enough people see them. Like, this should be your own personal life. But people post on there and they put all their greatest, you know, moments when they're driving the nice cars, the best thing that their husband did for them or the best thing that their wife did for them. Amazing life. And then you have somebody else who's not married, who doesn't have that car. And they're scrolling through the feed and they're looking through and they're like, you know, it's, it's depressing. And they start getting depressed. So one of the sins that we have to deal with at night, the tshuva that we have to do Hashanah Rabbah at night, I was thinking about it, atzvut, depression. Depression is a very, very serious thing. They made a study, this was back in 2015. What is the number one most prescribed drug in the classification in America? So in America you have roughly around 328 million people. The number one most most drug that was prescribed in the classification was high cholesterol. Because right? everyone eats a lot in Western America, right? No one's actually thin. Uh, you know, it's all in comparison. It's high cholesterol. We eat too much. Number two, first of all, number one, you know how many, you know how many prescriptions there were for high cholesterol drugs? 255 million. Remember, there are 200 and, what do we say? 380, 20, 328 million or something, you know, Americans that live in America. That's, that's ridiculous. Number two came in antidepressants. Antidepressant came in on 253 million prescriptions that are prescribed annually for people that are just not happy in life. Now the question that is asked is, what's going on? Why are we so unhappy? Where is our happiness? You realize that we live in luxury today that nobody could ever dream of 100 years ago. The poorest person today lives greater than a king 200, 300 years ago. There is people that have nothing, but then they have food stamps, and they have a, uh, you know, they have a roof, they have heating in their house. They have the, they have people that have nothing today have more than what kings had 500 years ago, and yet the depression rate is higher. It's skyrocketing. What's going on over here? What are we missing out? So, furthermore, besides all the fact of depression, we know that simcha is so important. Says the Arizal. The Arizal says, you know, when he was asked, how did he get to such a high level? The Arizal is on a crazy, crazy level. He got to it at a very, very young age. How was he able to do that? And he answered, is because, not because of all the learning, well, obviously because of all the learning, everything he did. But the main thing, the main thing that he got to them to that level was the simcha. Was the ability that he was able to do the mitzvot b'simcha. That's what got him to the level. B'simcha is so important. The Chassam Sofa tells us that the first mitzvah that a, that a bar mitzvah boy has is simcha. Simcha is, and I'll tell you even furthermore, it's so fundamental to your life, happiness, that everything that you decide to do in your life stems from one thing, and the driving cause for it is happiness. If you think about it, you ask somebody, why do you work so hard? Because I want to make money. Says, why do you want to make money? Because I want to buy things. Why do you want to buy things? The more that you keep on asking him, like a little child, why, 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 you're going to get to one point, because it's going to make me happy. Why do you want to marry this person? Because I love this. You, go, but you keep on asking it. Why? Because it's going to make me happy. Why do you want to have kids? It's hard. It's expensive. But ultimately, they get nachas, very cute. Whatever it is that you're going to give them, ultimately, one reason, one reason only, because it's going to bring me happiness. Now, if happiness is so important and we're lacking it in so much, then what does the Torah say regarding happiness? And I'll tell you even one step further. When you look at all the holidays, you look at every holiday has a special power in it. And it's noted with those powers. You have, for example, Shavuot. Is zman matan Torah It's a time when we get the Torah. You have Pesach. That's a time when we got redeemed. You have Purim. You have all these holidays that have special, special powers. Now, if I were to ask you which holiday, which Chag is the Chag for happiness? Now, if you didn't know what you know the prayers and the way that we daven, what would be the first thing you would say? Maybe Purim, maybe Pesach. 
The last, one of the last things that you think about is Sukkot. Sukkot is happiness. Sukkot is known as Man Simchatenu. What we strive for for so much in our life is right here in this holiday. Is Sukkot is Man Simchatenu. Now the question is that is how how is Sukkot Man Simchatenu? It makes absolute no. We leave our house. We got to sit in the cold or in the hot or in the rain or whatever. You know, how is this is Man Simchatenu? We got to go buy expensive you know expensive lemon. And then you got to go and you got to walk around. And then you shake it and then you got to hit it. No one knows what they're doing. Everyone's walking around. They're following the next person. How is this Man Simchatenu? How is this a time of our happiness? So the. <clears throat> If you really want to know the secret to a word, you look at the first time that this word is written in the Torah. When, let's look at Simcha. The first time that the word Simcha is written in the Torah is written regarding to Aaron HaKohen. Aaron HaKohen, when Moshe Rabbeinu, this is in Shemot Pelagdalet, Pasuk Yudalet, it says over there that Moshe was arguing with God. He says, I, why am I going to go? I'm going to redeem the Jews. Why don't you find somebody else, somebody better, some of this? And then... HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling Moshe Rabbeinu, Aaron HaKohen is coming to you. And what does it say over there? You would think that Aaron is the older brother. Maybe he's going to be jealous of Moshe. Maybe he says, maybe I should be the one. He was a righteous man. Maybe I should be the one that's taking the Jews out of Egypt. Why is it Moshe? But no. Says the Torah, it says, V'samach b'libo. Aaron HaKohen samach b'libo. He was, he was happy inside. We see over here something very interesting. The first time, the first time that the word simcha, which is happiness, is written in the Torah, is written by Aaron HaKohen. Not so, you know, by chance that it just so happens to be that this is the Chag of Aaron HaKohen. Ananea Kavod came in the merit of Aaron HaKohen. And not only that, weird, what does it say that he was happy? He wasn't happy for himself. The first time the Torah speaks about happiness, it speaks about happiness for somebody else. I'm happy for the other person. A secret, the first secret that we're going to deal with today is you want to know how to be happy, you have to stop thinking about yourself for a second. When you start thinking about other people, then you could actually be, be uh, you know, truly happy. There was a, a psychologist, if I'm not mistaken, by Dr. David Hamilton. He did research on a chemical level. And he found that when somebody helps, someone does chesed to somebody else, it actually changes, it releases chemicals in your brain. Those are the same chemicals that you take drugs to make yourself happy. It's the dopamine levels in your brain rise up when you do chesed, when you do something good. And that's why he came, it's known of, it's something known as something called the helper's high. That if you do a lot of good, you feel good about it. So much so that you get a little bit of addicted to it. You like, you want to do more. And that's why you have people that are, you know, you look at like Hazak and Torah time. The second they got a taste for, for Zikuya Rabin, the second they got a taste for helping others, they got to do more. There's like more. Once you start helping others, you cannot stop. It feels good. It makes you happy. Because you got to stop thinking about yourself for a second and you think about other people. This is what Rav Pam says. You know, Rav Pam says that the sukkah, what we got to do with the sukkah is we, our house is our permanent home. We got to leave our permanent home and we got to go into our temporary home. Says Rav Pam, what does that mean? That doesn't only mean physically, but also inside, intellectually, emotionally. Throughout the year, we're constantly focused about ourselves. It's only about us, it's only about me. We don't really care much about anybody else. That's why, you know, you have people that get, there's a stain on their shirt. And they're like so embarrassed about it, they cover it and they do like that. No one cares, no one's looking. Everyone's so involved in their own problems. They don't care about your problems. Everyone's so involved in them. Says Rav Pam, Throughout the year, our permanent dwelling place is inside over here. Come Sukkot, you got to leave your permanent dwelling place. Leave that you're always self-centered and you're always thinking about yourself and start thinking about other people. So go into the Sukkot, go into the temporary. If for temporary, think about somebody else. Once you start thinking about somebody else, that's how you're going to be happy. I was speaking tonight in a different location and someone came over to me afterwards. He actually went through this recovery center. 
And he said, you know, with depression, what they teach you over there is you have to stop thinking about yourself. Because when you, when you have time to think, that's when all the bad thoughts start coming. But when you start thinking about other people, you don't have time to think about yourself, the depression actually, actually goes away. So one thing, the first lesson that we learned today is we're going to go Bezat Hashem through four steps on how to actually practically be happy. Zman Sevratenu, and it's all going to be based off the Sukkah. Number one is when you, when, you, when you realize the understanding that it's not all about you. And when you start helping other people, you start enjoying it. You start enjoying life. That's number one. The Zohar in Parashat Emom goes and says that the Sukkah is known as Tzila de Mehem Nusa. It's the shade of faith. Now the question is, what does it mean that this is the shade of faith? Like, what is the, what is the emunah that you have to do when you're dealing with the, with the sukkah? There was once a king, and he wanted to know, he says, listen, a king doesn't have that many worries. You know, he's got everybody doing everything for them, assuming that his, his country is running smoothly. He doesn't have to worry about anything. And he said, he says, he wants to find out who in this kingdom is as happier and as content as he is. So he started looking at the people, he dressed up as a regular person, and he started looking and for, you know, different people, see who's happy. So this person is crying about his, you know, panasa. This person is crying about his shalom bayit. This person is crying because he's not married. This person, everybody has their own, their own reason. Then he goes and he walks into this shabby little hut. He peeks through the window and he sees a guy who has no money. There's like leaking, but he sees there's meat on the table. He has a cup of wine. He's playing a flute. And he is happy. He is singing by himself. And the king is like, it really, like, how is this guy so happy? He doesn't have anything. So he goes and he knocks on the door. And he says, do you mind can I come in? And the guy says, for sure. He goes and he brings him down to the, to, you know, to the table. Gives him some wine. Finally, the king says, he says, tell me, why are you so happy? He says, what does there have to be happy about? You get some wine. You get some drink. You get some food. Yeah, you enjoy life. This is what you be happy. This is a guy who had so much emunah in God that nothing bothered him. Like, you couldn't, you couldn't bother him. Even if he tried, nothing bothered him. So the king says, that's interesting. He says, well, what do you do for a living? What's your business? So he says, you know, I fix things. I'm a fixer man. If something is broken, people call me and I fix it. That's what I do every day. I work. I make a few gold coins. By the end of the day, I spend everything that I made that day for my dinner and for my, uh, you know, for my wine. And it says, tomorrow, start the cycle again from noon. So, he was, uh, the king says, okay, let's see how happy this guy is. The next day, the king makes an edict, says, a verdict, he makes a decree. There is no hiring anybody to fix your, your, your thing. Everybody has to fix their own things. So he comes out, this, this poor man comes out, and he's looking to, for a job, and he says, listen, do you have anything to work? And everyone's declining. He says, what's going on? Usually I have so much work. Now there's nothing. So he said, didn't you hear? The king sent out a decree that no one's allowed to go, and no one's allowed to go and hire other people to fix it. So he's thinking, he says, what am I going to do? He says, this is how I make a living. So while he's going, and while he's, he's going around, and he's looking for something to do, he sees somebody chopping down tree for firewood. And he goes and he starts telling the person, he says, listen, you know, you're a, you're a successful guy. He says, you got to cut down trees. He says, let me do it for me. Let me do it for you. Pay me a few, few, you know, few dollars. So the guy says, you'll, you'll cut the tree for me? He says, yeah, of course, not a problem. He goes and he starts cutting down the tree for him. The guy pays him a few, a few bucks. He puts it in his pocket and he finds a few other people. At five o'clock, he, he makes his daily quota. He makes his few gold coins. And then he goes, he buys his meat. He buys his wine. He goes home and he starts playing flute. This time the king says, let me go visit him. Let me see what's going on. He goes on and he starts peeking into the window. And he says, this time I got him. Because he can't make money. And he sees this guy again. He's like, he's happy, he's singing, he's dancing. So the king knocks on the, you know, on the door again. And the guy lets him in and he says, oh, Baruch Haba, my guest. He brings him in. And he goes and he, you know, they, tells him the whole story. He's enjoying himself. The king says, I understand, how did you make the money? I thought, that, that, you know, you're not allowed to make the money if like that. So the guy says, yeah, 
But I was able to go and I was able to uh, find a different job. I, uh, now I cut trees. The king says, interesting, you cut trees now. Okay. The next day the king puts another rule. No one's allowed to cut tree for anybody else. You can only cut tree for yourself. He goes out there and he starts looking to, for business. Now his business is cutting trees, but no one's hiring him. Again, they tell him, the king says, you're not allowed to hire, you're not allowed to hire somebody to chop wood. So he's looking, he doesn't know what to do. He sees someone cleaning out a shed. He says, fine, someone's cleaning out a shed. Hey, listen, why do you got it? Same story. Why do you got to clean out the shed? Let me do it for you. And that's what he did. He cleaned a few sheds, made a few bucks. Back to, back to the story. Long story short, he's back at home singing and dancing. He's happy again. The king comes to visit him and he says, what is going on with this guy? He says, There's no, nothing's hurting this guy. He comes in again. The guy says, the king says, how did you make money today? He says, oh, I clean sheds now. He says, you know what? That's it. The king's like, put out like so many rules. It's like, no cleaning sheds, no chopping wood, no nothing. You know, only work for yourself. That's only allowed to make money. He says, now I got him. The guy walks out the next day, tries to make a few bucks. Nothing is doing. Nothing is happening. So he's going, he realizes that there's nothing to do. So he decides that he's going to hire himself out as a soldier for the, you know, for the king's army. And he made a stipulation. He says, listen, I'm not a permanent soldier. I'm a daily worker. You pay me daily, I'll, I'll come. They said, listen, we need more soldiers. No problem. And they paid him daily and he made that, money, that, that, you know, that, that amount of quota exactly that he needed. The king comes back to his house again. And he looks at him and he says, this time I got him for sure. He goes over there. The king's like, can you believe this guy? He says, how is this guy always happy? He knocks on the door again, comes in again. The guy says, you know, the, the whole story, the king says, how do you make the money? And the guy says, listen, now I'm a soldier of the army. The, guy, the king says, okay, interesting. So now the king goes, and the king makes another rule. And he says, from now on, don't pay the soldiers daily quota. You're not allowed to pay them for today. Let's see what happens with this guy. He comes back, you know, the, the guy comes to work as a soldier, and he goes to get paid. He says, listen, my daily pay. The guy says, listen, I'm sorry, the king made a rule, we can't pay you today. He says, come back tomorrow, I'll pay you for two days. Guy says, I need a, uh, you know, I need, this is what I used to eat. Guy says, listen, I'm sorry, I don't know what I can tell you. This is all I can have, to, this is, this is the rule, I can't change it. So, he goes and he's thinking what he's gonna do. He decides that he's gonna take his sword and he's gonna pawn it off. He's gonna use that money to buy the food. Tomorrow, when he gets paid twice, he's gonna go and he's gonna return this, he's gonna fix the sword back to it was. So now he didn't, he wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, you know, silly guy. He was gonna take the, he took the sword, he pawned the metal part off, the, the, the silver, and the other part he put it in wood. And that night, you know, he had enough money, he had his meal, and, he, and he's sitting there dancing and singing. Suddenly the king comes in, and the king sees him, and he says, how did you make money now? Didn't you hear about the rule about the king? He says, yeah. He says, but between me and you, I don't know how this guy didn't realize it was a king, but he didn't realize it. He says, between me and you, he says, you know, I sort of, uh, you know, sold my sword, and, but tomorrow, I'm, don't worry about it, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to return it. The king says, now I got you cornered. The next day, the king calls all his guards in. And he brings somebody that's condemned to death. And he says, this person is condemned to death and one of you are going to go and kill him. And he looks for the person in the field that sold his sword and has a wooden sword, doesn't have a real sword. He looks at him, he finds him and he says, you, come here. And the guy comes up and the guy is like sitting over there, he's like, what can I do for you, my dear king? He says, the king goes and he says, this guy is condemned to death. He has a death penalty, I want you to carry out the order. Now this guy knows that he is, you know, he doesn't have a sword to kill him so he goes, he can't give him a splinter to death, right? He's like, he has nothing to do. So he's starting to think. He's like, what am I supposed to do? So he says, you know, my dear king, I never killed anybody before. Maybe you could find somebody else. The king says, no, 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 no. I want you. I want you to do it. And he's saying, but are you sure that this guy is guilty? Maybe he's not guilty. The king says, trust me, he's guilty. He's thinking what to do. He has nothing to say anymore. Finally, he goes and he says, he goes over to the, and he announces to everybody. And he says, you know, our dear king, 
such a powerful and upright king. I'm sure that this guy really deserved the death penalty. But the death penalty is such a serious thing. You never know. You really never know if a really guy deserves the death penalty or not. He says, but let's leave it to God. He says, if this guy does not deserve the death penalty, then may God make a miracle that when I take out my sword, it's going to turn into wood so not to degrade the king and not to have the king send somebody to death unwarranted. And he goes and everyone's like, okay, you know, let's see what happens. And he takes out the sword and lo and behold, it's made out of wood. And everyone's like, wow. And they start clapping for the king. He says, long live the king. Look at the power that even God is on his side. Doesn't want him to kill somebody, on, you know, that, that doesn't deserve the death penalty. The king saw this. The king realized, okay, this guy, you know, he don't mess with. This guy he knows how his way out of, you know, he's able to get out of everything. The idea is, is that when you live your life with Emunah, nothing's going to bother you. This guy lived, he lived his life every day. That's the day that he's worried about. Doesn't worry about the next day. When you live your, your life that way, that's it. Nothing is going to bother you. No matter how, it's a very high level. But no matter what life throws your way, it's not going to bother you. It's not going to hit you. There's something very interesting. That <clears throat> when, the, when the Jewish people were stuck by, the, by Kriyat Yamsuf, we know that they were about to, by one side they had the sea, the other side they had, they had the Egyptian army chasing after them. Now when a Jew is stuck, what does a Jew do? A Jew prays. Opens up and he started praying. And Moshe Rabbeinu, this is what Moshe Rabbeinu did. He started praying. He says, God, please, please, please. And, and God, God said like this, and I'll quote you the pasuk. It says, And God said to Moshe, Why are you screaming to me? He says, Let, Just speak to the Beis, let them just go. He says, what do you mean? This is what a Jew does. A Jew screams when he's stuck. That's what a Jew does. But says the Mechel to something very interesting. He says, you know the merit that caused the Jewish people to go and have the, the sea split? The merit was the fact that they had the faith in God, the emunah in God, just to go. They didn't have anything else. They just went into the water. They didn't have anything else to rely on other than, other than the faith in God. That power has the power to perform miracles. If we realize, you know, people need panasa, People need zivug. When you look at the Gemara, Psachim says, what does it say? But somebody has a difficult time with a with panasam. It says kasheki kriyat yamsuf. When somebody has a difficult time with zivug, it says also kasheki kriyat yamsuf. It's as difficult as hard as kriyat yamsuf. What is that? What is the lesson that's learned over here? The two biggest things that you need so much siyata dishmaya. You need so much help from heaven. It says you have to have. It's just like kriyat yamsuf. What does that mean? That means this is just like the salvation came from kriyat yamsuf by just going, just having faith in God. That's how you're going to have your zivug, and that's how you're going to have your panasa. Panasa does not come from college, it does not come from anything else, it does not come from connections, it comes from one thing and one thing only, it comes from God. And if you have the emunah from that, then God is going to send it to you. If you don't, then you have to work, and you know, some people do, some people don't. The zivug is going to come from God. Everything, the hardest things in your life, the zivug, and the panasa, you have to have it, you just got to do what you have to do. That's all that God's asks, is you do what you have to do. This is lesson number two that we learn. Lesson number two is that the more emunah that you have, the more happier that you're going to be. The Zohar says the sukkah is tzila de mehemnusa. It's the shade of faith. It's all about faith. The sukkah is all about faith. We don't have the time to go into all the, the details of it. But the, the sukkah represents faith. If you have faith, then you will have zman simchatenu. You will be happy in life. Nothing is going to bother you. Number three, there's a very interesting question. We're coming up soon to simchat Torah. And that's where we're going to dance for the Torah. The question is, is that why are we dancing for the Torah on after Sukkot? We should be dancing it when by Shavuot, when we got the Torah. Why are we waiting so long to dance? If we're having Simchat Torah, literally we're dancing, we're so happy with the Torah. Why are we dancing now? We should be dancing when we got the Torah by Shavuot. An unbelievable question. Everybody should really have this. This is something that, that bothered me for a very long time. The Ben Ishchai, 
the Ben Ishchai in the Agadah of Pesach answers this question with a mashal, a beautiful story. And he goes like this. And he says that when there was once a guy, a prince, very, very successful, very handsome, very intelligent, had a lot of money, you know, everything was going for him. And uh, he was going through, you know, when it came time for the Shiduchim, so he got read all the, the top, top girls in the entire kingdom, he got, he got read. He got set up with. And he found the most perfect girl, everything in ten, in, in looks, in midot, everything was unbelievable. He was unbelievable, she was unbelievable, they thought this was the perfect match, this is the perfect thing. And, uh, you, know, he's, uh, you know, he goes and he gets married, everything is simcha v'sason, unbelievable. A few months after the wedding, he realized something's off with his wife. Something is a little bit, uh, you know, something is not right. And as the time goes by, she realized that there's some mental instability going on over there. And, uh, you know, as it got, it got worse as time went by, to the extent that it got so dangerous for him that he had to lock himself up in a room that she wouldn't hurt himself or her. Like, she, he had to literally lock himself up. Few months go by this way. Everybody thinks they have a perfect marriage, unbelievable. They have good panasag, but everything is everything is unbelievable. But people don't know what goes on behind closed doors. One morning he wakes up to the worst news possible. He goes to check on his wife, and uh, she committed suicide. She killed herself. Now he was going crazy. This is his wife. Obviously, he was having a hard time. He calls the police. They're coming, and they now what is the police going to do? The first thing that they see is they see a handsome guy, a rich guy. All of a sudden, his wife is no longer there. You know, start thinking. You know what? Maybe he did it. And it wasn't a time where you could have a democracy, you could have a court case. They suspected that he killed his wife, and they locked him up in prison. They locked him up. He says, you're not coming out. When someone gets locked up in prison, you can't, you know, like, beg. There's nothing to talk about. It was a dictatorship, whatever the king says, that's what happened. And he got locked up. He's locked up for a few months. And finally, the king comes over to him, and sends him a, sends him a, sends him a letter. And says him like this. It says, I'm going to give you an ultimatum. You have two options. Option number one is... You're going to rot in jail for the rest of your life. Option number two, marry my daughter and you get out. So then he's thinking, he's like, he's like what type of daughter, what, am I, what are we dealing with over here? How bad is that he, the king is looking for a shiduch in prison? That's, what, that's how bad his daughter is? Like what are we talking about here? What, how bad is the situation? So he's thinking, his, his, you know, at one point at least he's going to be you know, son-in-law of the king. No matter how bad it is, it can't be as bad as sitting and rotting in prison. So he goes to the king and says, you have a deal. He goes and he gets and he gets married to the daughter. The first time that he sees his kala, he looks at her and he figures maybe she's uh, you know she looks like you know the hunchback of Notre Dame. Maybe she looks like you know somebody that nobody would want to marry. But the first time he sees her, he sees it's a beautiful woman. He says, "Why would the king?" He says, "You know what? The biggest fear. It's not the outside that's bothered. It's the inside. She's internally damaged. There's something going on with her inside." So. He goes and he's, he's starting to think. He says, this is my, my nightmare from my first wife all over again. So he decides what he's going to do is, you know, it is what it is, but he's going to test her. Something that no husband or no spouse should ever do. Never test your spouse. But he decides he's going to go and he's going to test her. And uh, the first day after the, after the wedding, he comes in. And she's, you know, Eshet Chayal, she comes in, she gives him a beautiful cup of coffee, writes, I love you, and cookies, whatever it is that you're dreaming of. Unbelievable, so nice. He takes a look at the coffee, looks at it, and spills the entire cup of coffee on the floor. Doesn't say a word to her. She decides she's going to be a good wife, doesn't say a word, cleans up the mess, goes back, gives him a new cup of coffee. He looks inside the cup of coffee again, and this time he throws the entire cup on the floor, breaks it. She again doesn't say a single word. 
She decides maybe he saw a bug, maybe he saw something in there. She goes to her father's table, the king's table. And she takes a cup of coffee from the king, which means is you can't get better coffee like this in the world. And she brings them this beautiful cup of coffee. They have their, you know, the cappuccino with the frothing. And she writes, I love you. It's, un- it's so, so amazing. It smells unbelievable. She brings it to him. He takes one look of it and he spills the entire thing on her dress. Now this whole thing was witnessed by one of her maidservants. And her maidservants was looking at it the whole time. And she's like, and she, she couldn't hold herself back anymore. This is how, this is a guy that the king took out of prison. And this is how he's treating the princess. She couldn't hold herself anymore. She runs to tell the king. He says, you don't know what type of son-in-law you have. The son-in-law went, and this is what he did. And he took the cup of coffee the first night. This is his akaratatov. This is his gratitude. He goes and, he, and he's going to go. If this is what he's dealing with, he says, your daughter is in for a very, very troubling uh, future. The king was very upset with it. He calls over his son-in-law, and he says, you know, your judgment is done. I took you out of prison. I gave you everything. He says, and this is how you repay me? This is how you repay my daughter? So the son-in-law goes and says, my dear king, whatever you decree, I'll accept. But hear me out before you decide what to do with me. He says, when you called me in prison, and you said, listen, yeah, you have a daughter that you want to marry me. And I thought, what's wrong with this daughter? Like, why are you going to someone in prison to go and marry her? There must be something wrong with her. Probably physically, there's something wrong with her. No one wants to touch her. But when I saw that she's beautiful, I realized my worst fear. Maybe something's wrong with her inside. Maybe she has chemical imbalance. Maybe she's not stable. Maybe something's wrong with her. So I decided, you know, I couldn't live my life like that. I couldn't live my life and, you know, always figuring out I had to test, I had to see myself. And I tested her. I spilled a cup of coffee once. No anger, nothing. Smiling. I spilled a cup of coffee twice. Nothing. Just pure happiness. I spilled a cup of coffee the third time. On her... Not a word. Nothing. I realized that this girl is not only beautiful outside, she's beautiful also inside. So now, my king, you could do whatever you want. But if you don't do anything with me, I have but one request. And my request is, let's make another party. Because the first party that you made, the first wedding, I wasn't able to enjoy myself. I thought the whole time, I was looking to see what her problem was. Now that I see what an amazing specimen of a, of a human being that you gave to me, now I want to make another party. Now I really want to be able to enjoy myself with this. The king says, you know... I took you out of prison because I realized you were innocent. He says, but now I see that you're wise too. He says, not a problem. He says, we'll make another decree. You are 100% right. We come, God comes to us when we're in Egypt. You realize this? God comes to us in Egypt. We're slaves of the lowest country in the world at that time. And God is coming to us and saying, hey, guys, I have a, a hidden gem in my, you know, like the, the most priceless gift I could ever give to anybody is the Holy Torah. Do you want it? First question you ask is, what's wrong with it? Right? Someone's coming and giving you... The truth is it doesn't work that way in business. Because if someone comes to you and gives you a crazy deal, first you buy it and then you ask what's wrong with it. Especially if it's a good deal. But let, you know, you're coming over there. God is giving us a precious gift. The Torah. When we're slaves of the lowest. We weren't anything special back then. So we're saying something must be wrong with it. There must be wrong with it. We got the Torah and Shavuot. But we didn't know anything about it. Is it? We knew about it, but I'm saying like, how bad is it? Like Maybe if we mess up once, that's it. That's fire and brimstone forever. And then came the chet of the egel, the sin of the golden calf. And we sinned with the golden calf. And then God says, wait, you guys have Yom Kippur. You could do tshuva. They're like, we could do tshuva on it? He says, yeah, even though you have crazy stuff in the Torah, the amazing blessing, and even though the amazing, unbelievable curses that we have to deal with, but even if you mess up, you have tshuva. You could repent no matter how far you have fallen in your life, you can repent. So the Jewish people went and they repented. They repented on Yom Kippur. And once they repented on Yom Kippur, they said, you know, now, now we have Sukkot. Now we have Zman Simchatenu. Now we can really appreciate the beauty of the Torah. Now we can really, we tested the Torah. We felt, we realized the Torah is beautiful inside and outside. Now that we saw that you could do tshuva, now we saw the beauty of the Torah, 
Now we want to dance for Simchat Torah. That's how we dance for Simchat Torah after Yom Kippur. After we went all that, now we can actually see the true beauty of the Torah. That's answer number three. Answer number three, you know how to have... Now it's not Simchat you realize how lucky we are that we have the Torah. You realize how unlucky other people are that they don't have this? The beauty of it is, the connection that you have, which other book, which other study that you could have, that you could study and you could enjoy yourself. Look at any other scientific, mathematical business. Where do you have a convention that goes on until 5 in the morning? Maybe you'll have something. You have your group of people, not only over here in this room, but are listening online in their houses throughout the night listening to learning Torah. And they're enjoying it. It's enjoyable. It's so, it's, it's, it's mamish. You get simcha from it. You, if you get the depths of it, if you really get involved with it, the deeper that you get in Torah, the more happier that you get. It says, Now we realize the true beauty that we have. That is answer number three. To get true simcha, that is through the Torah. Let me go through the final one. When Yaakov Avinu, one of the reasons we also have Sukkot is because of Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu, he made a sukkah for his temporary possessions. Says the Talgum Yonasan, he made a permanent his permanent he made a permanent house and a temporary house. His permanent house was the Bet Midrash. But everything temporary, that he made a sukkah. Says that's why we sit in a sukkah. You realize when we sit in a sukkah, you go inside a sukkah, and let's say you hang up a beautiful picture, it falls off. Are you gonna get upset? You might get a little bit upset, but whatever, it's fine. It's raining, your sukkah gets wet. You gonna get upset? Eh. You have a light fixture, a beautiful light fixture, falls down in the middle of Sukkot. You gonna get upset? A little bit. Think of the same scenario in your house. You're sitting in your house, you put up a beautiful painting, a beautiful picture, it falls down. That's it. Now you gotta call this guy, and then this painting, and then this, and you gotta fix the frame and all that. You have leaking, forget about it. How upset are you gonna be? God forbid you get leaking in your house. You have anything bad that happens in your house, it hurts. Why? Because this is where I am. This is my permanent dwelling. But in this sukkah, you realize, I'm here for a week. Who cares? Like, okay, my picture fell. I'm fine, whatever. I'm gonna be in a week, I'm out of here. You're gonna, you don't, you don't sweat anything when you're dealing in the sukkah. When you're dealing in the sukkah and something falls, something breaks, something this, alright, whatever, it's just one week. You realize you're here temporary. If you're here temporary, you don't sweat the stuff. It doesn't bother you. You're happy. It doesn't bother you as if it would happen to you, happen to you in your house. The lesson that we learn from Sukkot is we realize that life is temporary. When you realize that life is temporary, then don't sweat the small stuff. What are you gonna worry? Someone cut you off? Alright, granted, you live in Queens, you live in Brooklyn. It's the end of the world, right? The, the, the curses that you, you know, all the curses of the Torah, you know, whatever. We all know how, what goes through people's mind, you know, but why? What's a big deal? So he cut you off. So you get 35 seconds, you missed another light, you have 35 seconds. What's the big deal? It's temporary. Everything, if you realize if life is temporary, you live a happy life. The secret of the sukkah is something very important. And this is something also that the Chafetz Chaim, once, somebody once came into the Chafetz Chaim, a very wealthy guy who was traveling, came over to the Chafetz Chaim and he looks around inside the Chafetz Chaim. Chafetz Chaim lived a very, very simple life. Very simple lifestyle. And he goes to his rabbi, Where, where's your furniture? And he goes and he says that my furniture, he says, where's your furniture? He goes, this guy is very wealthy. He says, where's your furniture? And the wealthy guy goes to him, my furniture. He says... I'm traveling. He says, my furniture is in my mansion, in my house, with, you know, taken care of by all my servants. So the rabbi goes back to him, Chafetz Chaim goes back to him and he says, I'm also traveling. He says, my furniture is in the next world. He says, when we realize that life is temporary, you don't, nothing bothers you. You realize how amazing that, that's a simple idea. You realize, Zman Simchatenu, it's only could be in Sukkot. It's not Purim, it's not Pesach, because there's so many lessons of happiness that deals with Sukkot. Let's do a quick review. And by the way, there's something very interesting. The, if you take the words besimcha and happiness, 
it changes around its machshava. True happiness is not external. It's not when I get certain things. We all think that it's going to be that way. I'll be happier when I get this. I'll be happier when I get that. True happiness is internal. It's machshava. It's in your thought. That's when you have true happiness. Let's do a quick review and then we'll end off. We said the four things, four reasons that Zman Sukkot is known as Tafka as Zman Simchatenu. Number one, we said that Sukkah is known as Zman Simchatenu. Why? Because it's something that you're able to think about other people for a second. It's known as Anana Kavod. It's Alan Akon. Alan is Ohev Shalom, Rodef Shalom. All he cared about was other people. The first time that the Torah speaks about Simcha, what does it speak about? When you're Samach Bilibo, and Aaron was happy for somebody else. You want to get true happiness? You'd start doing for other people. And if you realize, Ahava, the love, the shalash, the root of love, is have to give. The more that you give, the more that you love. It's as simple as that. That's why the strongest relationship that we have is between a parent to a child. Because a parent to a child, a parent just gives and gives and gives. You want to have a good relationship with your spouse? The more that you give, the more stronger your love will be for that spouse. It's so unbelievable. But that is the secret of happiness, one of the things is the sukkah, is, is a coin. Oed shalom v'hodev shalom. You're going to be happy when you start giving to other people. The more that you give, the more chesed that you do, the happier that you will be. Number two, he said from the Zohar. The Zohar said that the sukkah is on at silah de If you live your life with emunah, with faith, you're going to be happy. Nothing is going to bother you. Because everything is good. Everything is from God. If everything's from God, you don't sweat. Someone cuts you off. Someone steals a business deal. Someone does the worst of the worst. You realize that it's all from God. It doesn't bother you so much. Number three, we realize the beauty of the Torah. We gave the example from the, from the Ben Ishchai. You have the you have after Yom Kippur we see the beauty of the Torah. The beauty of the Torah is not that it's so much so beautiful. You have all the blessings, but God forbid, even if you mess up, even if you mess up, you have the opportunity to change. You have the opportunity to do tshuva. And now that tonight is the most opportune time for that because that you have Hoshana Rabbah. Hoshana Rabbah kabbalistically has such powers to go and forgive for so many things. That's why we stay up all night and we learn Torah. We do so much to try to go and fix our final last chance to go and fix for our year all the bachot that we should have. And finally, the last thing he said is the, the secret of the sukkah is life is temporary. Sukkah is temporary, life is temporary. If you realize that life is temporary, then you're just going to be happy. There's nothing to sweat about life if you realize it. These things, I'll give it to you, are easier said than done. But at least they have to be said. And Bizat Hashem, may we have the sukkah, may we have the power, may we have the siyat of the shmaya, to have not only happiness tonight, but Bizat Hashem, may the happiness last us from, from this year to the next year, Bizat Hashem. And may we have grant us everybody, the entire, whatever that God wants, whatever that you want, may God grant it to you, that it should be an unbelievable, successful, and amazing, amazing year. You've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.